when the one sitting on the throne, the father, allows the lamb to take the scroll, he is authorizing him to execute the divine plans within it for the redemption of the world. He's giving Jesus authority. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever thought about what makes a good judge? Even in the best of circumstances, is it possible for someone, perhaps even you, to judge justly? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part seven of his current series titled, He is Worthy. Chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation really begin the heart of this book, and they teach us that God is infinitely worthy to sit on the universe's throne and to judge its rebellion against Him. Also, how God the Father will delegate that role to His Son. These chapters introduced you to the great judgments God will unleash on the earth during the period of time called the Great Tribulation. Today, Tom will look at the next part of John's vision, the lamb with seven horns. Who is this lamb, and what do the seven horns represent? Let's find out as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. So take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We're looking especially at chapter 5. As I was thinking about this passage with the fact that the process to appoint a Supreme Court justice in our country is relatively simple and short. The president notifies the Senate of his nomination, usually in writing. Once the Senate receives the nomination, the Senate Judiciary Chair authorizes a pre-hearing investigation. That is in turn followed by public hearings at the Judiciary Committee. Then, of course, the Judiciary Committee makes its recommendation to the full Senate. Once the nomination reaches the entire Senate for a vote, only a simple majority is needed to confirm the nominee. Those of us who lived a while have watched a number of these appointments unfold. Here's the remarkable thing. It takes less time to be appointed to the Supreme Court than it took some of you to get a job. It takes two to three months of hearings to choose a person who is going to occupy one of the nine most powerful roles in our country, the ultimate judges in our nation. But that's nothing compared to the passage we come to tonight. Because through the amazing condescension of divine revelation, we are allowed in Revelation 4 and 5 to witness the selection process for the greatest judicial and governmental role in the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the judge of everything. That's what's happening in these two chapters. It's the divine selection process. Chapters four and five really begin the heart of this book, and they teach us that God is infinitely worthy to sit on the universe's throne and to judge its rebellion against him and he will delegate that role to his son. These chapters are a kind of prelude to what's ahead. They introduce us to the great judgments God will unleash on the earth during the great tribulation. The heavenly events in these chapters 
occur, in fact, just before that seven-year tribulation period begins on earth. Now, so far, we have looked at chapter 4, and in chapter 4, we saw the scene in heaven, the Father in the throne. There, we're, we're allowed to see the Father, the one sitting on the throne in the majestic, magnificent setting around Him. Last time we studied Revelation, we began to study the central event in this vision, and that brings us to chapter 5, and I entitled chapter 5, The Search in Heaven, The Lamb and the Book. Let's read it again together just to give us the flow of this passage. Revelation 5, you follow along. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, as this drama in chapter 5 unfolds, John's gaze is captured here by three great sights. Last time we looked at the first of those sights. It is the book with seven seals. The book with seven seals. We looked at the Father's mysterious book. Verse 1 says, In his right hand was a book, literally sitting on the open right hand of God, in a figurative sense, was a scroll, a scroll of unparalleled importance. Verse 1 says, it was written inside on the back and sealed up with seven seals. The scroll was rolled up and seven seals were placed 
along the straight line at the end of the scroll, the seven seals underscored its importance and that it's perfectly sealed because there's only one person in the universe who's qualified to open it. Now, as we learned last time, this scroll in the hand of God in Revelation 5 is a title deed. Like the one in Jeremiah, it is the title deed to the earth. In verses 2 and 3, we witnessed the angel's fruitless search. He cries out, is there anyone worthy to open this book and to break its seals? And the angel's question echoes through the universe. Every intelligent being hears it. And in response, verses 2 and 3 tells us there is a universal silence, which brings us to the apostles' inconsolable grief in verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly. John was deeply saddened because it seemed that God's redemptive plans would be postponed. And in response to his grief, you have one of the elders' triumphant announcement to John. Stop weeping, verse 5. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome to open the book and its seven seals. Both of these titles, as we noted last time, are messianic. Messiah had to be from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of kings, had to be in the line of David. Both of these titles describe him as the great warrior king of God's people. The elder tells John, the only one worthy to take the book and open its seals is the Messiah. So the first sight that John had was the book with seven seals. Next, he turns and sees the lamb with seven horns, the lamb with seven horns. The elder tells him that the one who has conquered is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John turns to his astonishment, what he sees is a lamb. Mounts writes, the lamb in Revelation is the glorified Christ enthroned with God and destined to be victorious over all the opposing forces in the universe. This is the lamb. Now, what John sees in this vision reveals several defining characteristics of the lamb in this scene. First of all, we learn that he's at the center of everything. This lamb is at the center of everything. Verse 6 says, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders. A very similar expression to this occurs back in chapter 4, verse 6, and there it means in the center That's what it means here. In other words, standing in the very middle of heaven, in the middle of millions of angels, in the middle of all the redeemed, in the middle of the cherubim and the seraphim, in the middle of the four living ones, in the middle of the throne of God stands the Lamb. And it's the place that he holds throughout this book. He is the center of everything. Chapter 7, verse 17 says, the Lamb is in the center of the throne. So he's at the center of everything. Secondly, as John sees him here, he's a sacrificial lamb. Verse 6 says, I saw a lamb standing. Now we already saw a description of Christ back in chapter 1. And how did Christ appear in chapter 1? As a man. We'll meet him again in chapter 19 where he again resembles a man riding a horse. Why? because Jesus is still fully human as well as fully God. He's still exactly like us. He has a human body, a glorified one, and he has a human soul like us. 
but he is also fully and completely God. So he still has a glorified body. He looks like a man glorified because he is. He doesn't actually look like a lamb any more than he actually looks like a lion. These are figures of speech to describe things that are spiritually true about him. Now, this description of Christ as a lamb obviously has its roots in the Old Testament. As we saw this morning, that great sacrificial system, Jesus is the fulfillment of that entire system. You remember when John the Baptist saw Christ and realized who he was in John chapter 1, verse 29, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, God's Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. He's the lamb of Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. In fact, I know that's true because in Acts chapter 8, Philip applies that verse from Isaiah 53, 7 to Christ as he evangelizes the Ethiopian eunuch. The Greek word for lamb here means either lamb or on occasion, because of the form of it, it can mean little lamb. Outside of Revelation, this word is only used once. It's used in John 21, 15, when Jesus says to Peter, tend my lambs. There's another word that's used throughout the rest of the Scripture. But in Revelation, this particular word for lamb occurs 28 times referring to Jesus Christ. It occurs one other time referring elsewhere, but 28 times to Jesus Christ. It presents Jesus as the complete fulfillment of the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. The daily and national sacrifices offered for the nation, the individual sacrifices offered by the worshipers in Israel, the Passover lamb, as well as the animals offered on the Day of Atonement. He's the fulfillment of it all, as the writer of Hebrews says. He is the Lamb. He's God's Lamb. He's the one all those animal sacrifices pointed to. Verse 6 goes on to say, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a Lamb standing as if slain. Now, that's a very interesting expression. Standing means literally, I mean, in the Greek text, it says, having taken his stand. A lamb having taken his stand. The main point is, he's not dead, he's alive. So the focus here is not on Jesus' crucifixion, the actual death of Christ, but on the results of his death and his resurrection. He's standing, he's not lying there dead. It's like chapter 1, verse 18, where Jesus says to John, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's standing. But notice, he's like a lamb that's been slain, literally having been slaughtered or having been sacrificed. So he's standing alive in heaven, but he has the marks that show that he's been slaughtered in the past. Apparently, the wounds from our Lord's crucifixion, the same wounds our, the disciples saw in his glorified body after the resurrection, will remain visible for all eternity. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Does that mean mine will too? No, yours are not important. His are. 
His will remind us of the price of our redemption forever. A lamb standing as if having been slaughtered. So, he's a sacrificial lamb. There's something else that John sees here about him, and that is this lamb shares the attributes of God. First of all, he's omnipotent like God. Verse 6 says he ha- he's one having seven horns. In the Old Testament, the horn symbolizes power. Those animals that had horns, you can imagine, were the ones who were the victors in, in battles as opposed to those who didn't have them. So it symbolized power. For example, in Deuteronomy 33:17, as the firstborn of his ox, majesty is his, and his horns are the horns of the wild ox. With them, he will push the peoples to the ends of the earth. So the horn speaks of this sort of subduing power. So this lamb is not a typical lamb. He is a lamb that's a warrior king with perfect, irresistible power, just like God. And he's omniscient. Verse 6 goes on to say, and he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we've already encountered this expression. I've explained it before. The seven eyes speak of seven, of course, perfection. Seven eyes mean you have perfect vision. This is better than 2020. It leads, this perfect vision leads to perfect knowledge, which therefore leads to perfect wisdom. The point here is nothing escapes the notice of the lamb. He misses nothing that happens. He has a perfect knowledge of all things and perfect wisdom to execute all his plans. It goes on to say, these seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What's, what's that about? Well, theologically, many of you understand that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And this expression is, is saying that he's sent out, the Holy Spirit's sent out by the Lamb. Um, and this expression here figuratively figuratively describes that the Holy Spirit serves as the the agent of the Lamb to ensure that He knows everything that's happening everywhere in the universe. We talk about someone being our eyes, right? He's my eyes in that department or in that workplace. Well, the Holy Spirit is the eyes of the Lamb. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's everywhere, and therefore, The Holy Spirit, His Spirit, has been sent into all the world and provides perfect knowledge of all earth's events. Another snapshot or characteristic that we get of this lamb, not only is he at the center of everything, he's a sacrificial lamb, he shares the attributes of God, but he's the rightful owner of earth's title deed. Verse 7, and he came from his place right at the center of God's throne, right next to the Father, and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, what is this picture? When the one sitting on the throne, the father, allows the lamb to take the scroll, he is authorizing him to execute the divine plans within it for the redemption of the world. He's giving Jesus authority. Jesus has authority inherently as a member of the Trinity, But as one of us, 
he was given this authority in response to his work on earth. You remember what he said after his resurrection in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has authority to judge, to judge the world. John 5, 22, not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Acts 10, 42, Peter says to those who had gathered there at the home of Cornelius, he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. In Mars Hill, in Acts 17, verse 31, Paul says, God has fixed a day in which he will, he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And you see this authority to judge as the rest of Revelation unfolds. He takes the scroll and watch what happens. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals and judgment unfolds. Verse 3, he broke the second seal. Verse 5, when he broke the third seal. Verse 7, when the lamb broke the fourth seal. Verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal. Verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal. Chapter 8, verse 1, <coughs> when the lamb broke the seventh seal. Go back to chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, as these seals are broken, and this particularly the sixth seal, it says the kings of the earth, verse 15 of chapter 6, and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Jesus has authority to judge this planet and its rebellion. He also has authority to rule the world forever. It was promised, you remember, to one of David's descendants in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. God says, I'm going to make a dynasty for you, and it'll be an eternal dynasty. Here's who it will be. Psalm 2, I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And of course, this is beautifully pictured in Daniel chapter 7. We studied it together where, where one like a son of man comes up to the ancient of days and here we're told that he was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And even at Jesus' birth, in the Annunciation to Mary that we'll study in a couple of weeks, chapter 1, verse 32 of Luke, the Gabriel says to Mary, the Lord God will give your son the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He has the right to judge, and he has the authority to rule. And all of that's pictured 
in what's unfolding in this scene in chapter 5. So in chapter 5, John is riveted on three great sights. We've seen the book with seven seals. We've seen the lamb with seven horns. The rest of this chapter, the focus is on the song with seven chords. In verses 8 to 14, Mounts is right when he writes of this section, nowhere else in the literature of worship will one find a scene of such unrestrained praise and adoration. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, He is Worthy. Tom will have part eight for you next time. Do join us then. You know, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's all at thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.